The Big Scary Show is brought to you in part by Dark Imaginings. Web design, creepy changing portraits, and much, much more. DarkImaginings.com For the deepest, darkest grooves, to the backwoods swamp where you hit the bottom, for the inside of your casket, to the fears lying deep inside your subconscious, it's time for a big, scary show. <laughs> Doc Bradley Pinhead from the Hellraiser movies, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. You'd better keep listening to The Big Scary Show, or I will tear your soul apart. Hi, this is Kane Hodder from Friday the 13th, Hatchet, Smothered, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hello, creeps. It's me, John Kassir, the voice of... The Crypt Keeper. <laughs> and you're listening to The Big Scary Show, the top podcast in the industry. <laughs> Hi, this is Denise Crosby from Pet Cemetery, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. This is Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein from Doyle, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hi, I'm Michael Graves from all sorts of bands that you probably don't know, but one that you might know, including the Misfits. You're listening to The Big Scary Show. You're listening to The Big Scary Show with three big scary men and one that wears more makeup than I do. As August slips away and haunt season is right around the corner, the four hosts had a trio of guests which they chained to their chairs at the Round Table of Terror. Well, as the ghosts opened the dungeon door to head down for the talk, they found all three chairs empty, except for Cthulhu Idol in each seat. Being that the ghosts love a little H.P. Lovecraft, they brought up the 13 Questions of Doom, the Cthulhu Lovecraft Edition. Will Meat Hook Jim actually win a 13 Questions of Doom? He's like 0 for 11. Will Badger fail miserably? Will Jerry win? We don't know, but 13 Questions of Doom. Cthulhu and Lovecraft, the father of modern horror. Following up all that, we've got Badger on Deadline News. Storm rants about haunt jealousy in a haunt minute. Meat Hook Jim brings you New Zealand funeral practices in between the corpses. The Haunstrumentalist Jerry Vane spins the spooky tunes. And Veister is back with the Haunted Vista. And on this episode, it is The Horror of It All, Part 6. All this and so much more on this 
Episode 218 of The Big Scary Show. Christian era is the art of reviving the dead. It requires involvement with evil spirits by the person performing the act. The devil god brings life to the dead. No, 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 please, no, please. And death to the living. Necromancy, starring Orson Welles and Pamela Franklin. From Cinerama releasing. In color, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Enter the haunted world of Fright Find and discover an environment dedicated to promoting your haunt. Target customers who will influence others on attending haunted attractions as Fright Find brings in scream seekers looking for haunted places, events, and accommodations of every sort. Various exposure options give you the ability to reach your audience throughout the year. Don't be afraid. Go to FrightFind.com now to add your haunt for free and see for yourself the difference Fright Find will make in your haunt listing. The B-Movie Monsters, Salem's Lot, on The Big Scary Show.
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is time for Deadline News here on The Big Scary Show with your host, me, Drew Badger, bringing you all the latest in the haunted house, Halloween, and horror industries. Hello everyone, this is Drew Badger, this is Deadline News for episode 218, and yep, we're going to start off with some sad news again, this time from Barrett's Haunted Mansion in Abington, Massachusetts. We wanted to share some tragic news with our fans. Early Wednesday morning, August 19th, we lost a longtime member of our staff, Mike Pearson, who had worked at Barrett's for 20 years as an actor, makeup artist, and manager, among countless other things passed away from an existing medical condition at the too young age of 38. He was most well known by our fans as playing Phantasmo the Great, but also helped create events such as Darkness Unleashed, Lights on Tours, and this last season's Screens and Screams event. His personality, creativity, and love for the haunt industry will be greatly missed. The Big Scary Show sends its deepest condolences to the family and friends of Mike Pearson and Barrett's Haunted Mansion and offers up this moment of silence. We have this news from the Indy Scream Park in Anderson, Indiana. Calling all monsters and ghouls, Indy Scream Park has started the hiring process for the 2020 season. We're now hiring staff in the following areas. Scare actors, shift supervisors, greeters and door controllers, parking, concessions, cashiers, janitorial, security, bus drivers, and more. You must be at least 16 years old to work at Indy Screen Park. And to schedule an interview, please fill out the form on their website. That website is IndyScreenPark.com slash jobs. We have this news on a new Funko Halloween Advent Calendar. This comes to us via BloodyDisgusting.com. Christmas traditions have been creeping their way into the Halloween season in recent years, with Halloween wreaths and even trees becoming more and more popular. But what about Advent calendars, you ask? Thanks to Jack Specific, this year we'll see the release of a Gremlins-themed Advent calendar that can be used for Halloween or Christmas. And that's not all. Also on the way from Funko is a 13-day spooky countdown calendar that's tailor-made for the Halloween season, with each slot containing a mini pop vinyl toy of a horror icon. The 13 pocket-sized toys cover some of the most popular horror franchises, including The Shining, Annabelle, The Exorcist, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Beetlejuice, and Friday the 13th. Order your spooky countdown calendar today from Amazon, and you can expect it later this month. Hmm. We have this interesting news about a comic based on the film Terrifier. And this comes to us via BloodyDisgusting.com. While we may wait for Damien Leone's Terrifier 2, we've learned via the film's Facebook page that franchise killer Art the Clown will soon be getting his own three-issue comic book. The official series looks to be based on the first Terrifier movie, and the page notes, Quantity and price is to be determined, but they will be signed, and they will be limited. The first issue they continue should be available this October, and be sure to follow Terrifier 2 on Facebook. 
for more updates. We have this news from Panic in the Pines Haunted Attraction in Genoa, Ohio. It is with great sadness and after much debate, we can now confirm that Panic in the Pines Haunted Hayride Trail in Woods will not be opening this year. The decision is due to all the constantly changing rules and regulations surrounding the COVID crisis. The biggest deciding factors were the quality of scare due to social distancing of six feet. We cannot social distance on the haunted hayride and the safety of customers, actors, and crew due to COVID. We look forward to bringing you a bigger, scarier haunt with additional scenes to keep you on the edge of your seat in 2021. Please come visit us for daily daytime fall family fun, our animal tour, corn maze, and you pick pumpkin patch at Country Lane Tree Farm. We appreciate all the support. Keep up with updates at their Facebook page, facebook.com slash haunt farm. We have this news from Statesville's Haunted Prison in Lockport, Illinois. As our favorite season starts to creep upon us, we've been hearing from our amazing customers to see if and when we'll be opening. As many of you are aware, restrictions have been changing on a daily basis. We've been closely following and working with our local health department and inspectors to monitor new conditions and guidelines. From the start of the pandemic, we have spent many, many hours researching and studying how we can operate safely the Statesville Haunted Prison and efficiently in light of everything. Safety is always our top priority for every guest and employee that sets foot on the property. With that being said, as of today, we are saddened to announce that our 2020 season, we will not be opening the gates of Statesville Haunted Prison. We want to do our part in helping the fight against COVID and feel it would not be a safe move to open this year. If the conditions and restrictions change, we will reevaluate this decision. We thank you all for understanding our very difficult choice for not opening this season. We will still have Statesville gear available for purchase. Enjoy the rest of your summer, and we'll see you in 2021. Sincerely, the Warden and the Siegel family. Get more information at their Facebook page, facebook.com slash Statesville Haunted Prison. And finally, we have this news from the Haunted Labyrinth in Cranston, Rhode Island. As many of you know from driving or driving by or seeing our social media posts, our team is working hard with high hopes to bring you another year of screams. As of now, we have every intent to open as scheduled on September 25th. We are working closely with the state and town guidelines to ensure we meet all expectations for our operation. As you can imagine, this year will be much different than previous. We have designed our walkthrough and queue lines to include safety barriers for actors and guests, social distancing, limited group sizes, and proper sanitation. Please note that these current guidelines will likely impact wait times and ticket sales on a per night basis. We're confident that with our team and your cooperation, we will have another great year keeping the spirit alive. We'll see you soon. Get more updates. At their Facebook page, facebook.com slash haunted labyrinth. Remember folks, if you have news in the haunted house, Halloween, or horror industries, and you want it on the show, email it to us, news at bigscaryshow.com, and we'll get it on the show. No news is too big or too small. 
This concludes this edition of the Big Scary Show's Deadline News. <laughs> Are you looking for a comprehensive ticketing solution for your haunted attraction? HauntPay has the answer. We skip the features you don't need and focus on the ones you like, such as timed ticketing and repeat time slots, variable ticket types, bundle and combo tickets, social media discounts, and now featuring all-in-one options including managing your tickets online and at the door, as well as upselling and managing your merchandise and concessions with a comprehensive report on everything at the end of the night. Head on over to hauntpay.com and get started in 60 seconds for free. The Graveyard Boulevard, Night America on the Big Scary Show.
and gentlemen, that music again does signify you have found the Round Table of Terror here on the Big Scary Show. Now, over the past several months, we have been bringing you lots and lots of interviews and lots and lots of discussions with some industry leaders, vendors, musicians, goths, haunt owners, from home display people all the way to big professionals who've been in the business for 20-some-plus years. And we decided to change things a little bit this time. We are, for new listeners out there, the only place in the world where you can hear the world's greatest haunted game show, which we do about two, maybe three times a year. And for those of you who've heard us before, you're in for a treat because once again, it's time for the 13 Questions of Doom, the soon-to-be internationally famous haunted game show featuring our very own host storm which i will relinquish the microphone to take it away storm internationally no no we need to be interstellarly famous you know we need to broadcast this out into the stars and baby uh, steps have it no 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 <laughs> no we are I internationally famous. platforms maybe we can maybe we are beaming into space now we can exactly uh, we i'm can sure there's at- i'm sure there's been a canadian or three listening to this they still count as international Oh, that's true. Anyway, 13 Questions of Doom. We've actually made it to round 12 on this one. Our defending champ is Jerry, so we'll see tonight if he can do it. So, with the 13 Questions of Doom, let me just uh, recap and and let you know how this works out. This is a very, you know... uh, uh, um, Now I've completely forgotten what it's based off of. Oh, the McLaughlin Group. If you ever saw that on PBS, you know, forced to watch that by your grandparents. (laughs) They go around, have questions, and ask the guests, you know, the answers to the questions. And the commentator, in this case me, would, in a almost non-linear game show fashion, tell you if you're right or wrong. And, you know, I've decided to do it as a game show fashion and award you points or not. So... You can play at home. Let us know your scores. I don't think anyone ever has. They're usually too embarrassed to. But um, we'll pull stuff from horror, haunting, pop culture, and other things that the other hosts do not know anything on because it is the 13 questions of doom, not the 13 questions of bar trivia of horror. So I, myself, am Storm. I'll be your host tonight for the game. And uh, I am coming to you from the Calamari Comeback State, apparently. Go ahead, Google that, see, see what that, that's going on, and that will go into our subject for tonight's 13 Questions of Doom. But first, let us go through our contestants tonight. First of all, we have the aforementioned Badger. Greetings. Good to be here, Storm. Thank you, thank you. We'll see if you can score any points with this one. Once again, before we went on the air, he's like, I don't know anything about this. Well, you usually don't, and that's the idea. Uh, Meat Hook Jim. Greetings. Hopefully I can win one of these sometime. Maybe. We'll we'll see. Tonight might. You'll be surprised what you know or don't know. And then, of course, our defending champion, the man who is the sausage king of Columbus tonight. (laughs) Jerry Vane. (laughs) Oh, Lordy. I've got a double fireball and Rumchata sitting here saying, yeah, I got my double, I got my sausage. (laughs) That's what she's. Yes, she did. Um, Anyway, shall we? Absolutely. So, gentlemen, tonight's topic for round 12 is going to be 
the Cthulhu Mythos. Now, for those who may not be familiar, the Cthulhu Mythos is pretty much anything that pulls together. It's like the Marvel Cinematic Universe for writing for cosmic horror, all from H.P. Lovecraft. Now, while he really wasn't the greatest guy, really weird dude, all kinds of weird health problems and mental issues, and pretty much racist, um... He, he did have some incredible horror and writings, and he'd encourage other authors to use elements from his stories they'd make up. So a lot of stories of his and other authors uh, would be intermingled and entwined even today. You'll find elements of uh, Lovecraft's writings in um, a, a lot of popular sci-fi, uh, science fiction, comics. It's amazing the stuff you'll be it in, and you might discover a few in these 13 questions tonight. Mm. So, the one of the th- reasons why uh, this is a good subject for this week is uh, Lovecraft's birthday was uh, just uh, within the past week, but also there's a new series on HBO. Uh, the series is called Lovecraft Country, and uh, I started watching it. It's fantastic. If you have the ability to watch Lovecraft Country on HBO, do it. It's really, really well done. Uh, I think it's uh, Peel and J.J. Abrams are bringing it to you. It is phenomenal. Extremely well done. And yeah, it it will tingle the um, horror uh, enthusiasts in you, especially by the end. It is uh, of the first episode. So great show. Check that out. A lot of good stuff going on with that one. Very poignant uh, subject matter in it, also. So, with that in mind, Badger, question one's coming at you first. So, HBO's new series, Lovecraft Country, is based on a 2016 book by author Matt Ruff. What is the name of that book? I have no clue. You said this wasn't going to be bar trivia. Well, it, it, it. uh, I'm, just, I'm getting you warmed up. All right, see, so, you know, already Chris as a host for all, those who are new to this game, that gets you zero points. Jim, what about you? What, what's the name of the book? Well, I'm going to take a shot in the dark here just because I don't know. And I'm going to say the name of the book is Lovecraft Country. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty good guess. We'll, we'll see if that's correct. We don't want to give away the answer for Jerry. Jerry, what about you? What is the name of the book the new series on HBO is based on? I honestly don't do not know. Are you going to take a guess or anything? Um, given the fact I don't watch HBO, uh, in league with Lovecraft, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, Jim, you're right. The book is called Lovecraft Country. I, I, I was throwing you guys a nice softball down the center to, to get you get you going and, and showing you that this is not going to be the cosmic horror um, that 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 it that it should be what um you know we're, we're gonna have to switch to the hard questions so we're giving jim two points there where badger and jerry get nothing for not even trying you know no participation <laughs> i gave an here. answer don't even i gave an answer <laughs> no you didn't yes you I said did. I, I don't even know i don't want to know yeah, but I, I, I don't gave you, I, I don't i do not know but i gave an attempt at a title <laughs> title did you attempt to i don't know that's not title no i said i know i said um in league, league with lovecraft with love. Oh, that was his answer? All right. Well, still no points. Um, well, then, yeah. <laughs> Get your facts straight. Oh, wow. All right. All right. So, Jerry, we'll give you question number two first, then. All right. 
Where was H.P. Lovecraft born? And for extra credit, where did he die? Well, he was born in your neck of the woods in Rhode Island, if I remember correctly. And where did he die? Um, oh, God. Where did he die? I actually saw this, like, not too long ago. In a hospital. <laughs> well, we don't have to be specific with the hospital or what he died of. I mean, you know, city, city or state is fine. Uh, I want to say... Uh, I want to say Massachusetts. Okay, all right. Uh, Jim, what about you? What, what, where was Lovecraft born, and where did he die? Well, I, I'm gonna say that based on all I hear about Lovecraft and, and your affectation with him, I'm gonna say he was born in Providence. Um, but as far as dying. I'm just going to take a shot in the dark and say he died in Providence. Oh, in, in, interesting strategy. Very interesting. Badger, what about you? Where was Lovecraft born? Where did he die? I do know he was born in Providence, I believe. Um, death? Ugh. I'm going to say uh, huh. somewhere in Rhode Island. Let's see. Heck, heck. Where else in Rhode Island is there but Providence? So I'll say Providence. Except for Warwick, of course, but Providence. I'll go with James. Right, not too bad. And considering that Warwick has a Providence airport, you know, not too bad. But yes, H.P. Lovecraft did not get around much in his 46 years. He <coughs> was born in Providence. He died in Providence. He did live in Brooklyn for a couple of years. But uh, yeah, dude, dude did not get out of New England too often and not out of Rhode Island, as most native Rhode Islanders don't. I swear to God, they don't leave the state. So, yeah, Jerry, we're giving you a full point on that one. Jim, you're getting two points for getting a bonus and right away. And Badger gets a point and a half for going out on the ledge. So, not too bad. You know, after a couple questions, it's still a tight race. But Jim might actually win this one. He's got a nice hefty lead with four points with Badger a point and a half and Jerry at a point. But, uh, hey, things could get wild and crazy as we continue with the other ten questions of 13 Questions of Doom. Question number three. Uh... Jim, we'll throw this one at you. What is a Necronomicon? Uh, the Necronomicon is a book of the dead. Okay, not too bad. Badger, what about you? What is a Necronomicon? Um, it's, it is a book, but it was also a movie that came out in the 90s, I believe. Not too bad. That's all I got. All right, we'll see what you get for credit for that one. And Jerry, what about you? What is a Necronomicon? I, correct me on the on the, on the uh, a grimoire. Is that what they call it? It was also um, it's a collection of stories. Um, they, they they call it the Book of the Dead. Um, but there's also uh, a CD by the same name, and also a game of the same name. Not bad. We'll, we'll actually give Jerry two points for coming up with a couple of other references. Uh, Jim and Badger each get a point. Yes, the Necronomicon is the pretty much the Book of the Dead, but mainly it was a book to summon the old ones. And it, it is a fictional book. It is a fictional book. Uh, it may appear in certain movies that we might uh, mention later. Um, it's interesting, too, because over the past, you know, almost 100 years... 
there have been a lot of fakes of the Necronomicon. You can go in libraries and people will write in the Necronomicon and show that it's taken out. The Vatican gets requests for the Necronomicon with people believing the actual book, the spell book, exists in the Vatican libraries. And, you know, some of your uh, more occultist people have even written their own versions of it over the years. So there are all kinds of weird hoaxes and possible you know, real ones, but even Lovecraft when he was still alive said, no, it's, it's not a real thing. I, I, I made, up, made it up, but people don't even believe that, which is fantastic. Necronomicon <laughs> is also a kick-ass convention here in Providence every couple of years. So <laughs> would have, would have also have accepted that one as an answer. Would get to meet some neat people at that one. And you cover Question. that very well when you do that. I try. It's, it's good. They've been good to us, and it's, it's just a neat show. Uh, question number four. Name a movie inspired by H.P. Lovecraft's writings. And uh, let's let's go with Jerry first on that one. A movie? Yeah. Um, I don't know of a movie. I know of a song. <laughs> um, God. I can't. I honestly can't think of a movie. Um... No, that's not not that. That is. I was. I'm I'm thinking Clash of the Titans. I'm like, no. Um, I I honestly can't think of one. What 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 song are you thinking of? Call of the Cthulhu by Metallica. Oh, okay. That that goes. Well, we'll we'll give you a little credit for that one. Uh, Jim, what about you? A a movie inspired by H.P. Lovecraft's writings. Well, I'm actually kind of confident on this one, Storm, because I remember reading about it. Um, right before or after I watched the movie. Uh, so I'm going to say The Reanimator. Oh, interesting, interesting answer. Not too bad. And uh, Badger, what about you? I remember it. Go, go ahead. for it. I was going to say, I remember a sci-fi movie called Dagon, D-A-G-O-N, if I spelled it correct, Dagon, Dagon, and I think it was based on the works of Lovecraft. Absolutely. Uh, so, points for everybody. Jerry, we're giving you a point. Call of Cthulhu is, uh, they have had a couple movies with that title and based on it. So, stumbling into that one works. And, hey, you know, half Metallica songs should be uh, movie titles. Uh, <laughs> Jim, absolutely. Reanimator is a, uh, a, a actual story taken from Lovecraft based on one of his people. It's a cross between Dr. Frankenstein and Horrible Zombies. Uh, fantastic, uh, cheesy-ass movie series. And, you know, if you've ever seen the, you know, uh, laboratory in- mad scientist holding the syringe with a glowing green liquid, that's <laughs> where a lot of that comes from. Yep. And then Badger, yeah, Dagon is... Uh, that is a... Um, uh, uh, both a Lovecraft uh, story and a uh, movie. Uh, I think it actually even was like one of them sci-fi movies, and was that's where I saw it on a so, sci-fi so. channel. It, it, it wasn't the worst thing I've seen on sci-fi, but then again, you know, oh. it, the other so Badger and Jim both get two points. Jerry's going to get one on that one, so good job. Uh, some of the lesser-known ones, which uh, I mean, pretty much they've tried to do movies. Almost on everything he's done. One of the most recent, starring Nicolas Cage, is Color Out of Space. Mm. Um, I gotta catch that one. I heard it's really good and good adaptation of that story. The story is really trippy and crazy too. 
Um, but also, some of the lesser-known things that you might not realize are, you know, very heavily influenced by Lovecraft. The Evil Dead series. Um, no. The Necronomicon is in there, and it's a lot of happenings of that. And Batman. Batman, Batman? Gotham itself is very influenced by um, Lovecraft writings. Arkham Asylum. Arkham is a name from Lovecraft. It's an area, it's a hospital in a lot of his writings. So some of the dark and crazy stuff in Batman is actually influenced by uh, some of those writings in the Cthulhu mythos. Wasn't Die Monster Die based off a, a, a Lovecraft movie? Yes. Yes, it uh, is. Or story? Yes, it is. Now I remember it. Jesus. Yep. And, that, <laughs> and I believe that I believe that has. Um, uh, did that have Leg- uh, Legosi and uh, Vincent Price, or just Vincent Price? I think it was just Price. Yeah. Uh, there, there's another one too, which had Legosi and uh, Christopher Lee, that was also based off it. Because in the '60s, they 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 liked that uh, cosmic horror and. Uh, Actually, Die Monster Die, they, they sort of said was supposed to be based on something else, but was very, very Lovecraftian, actually was based on that story. I think they even used the character's name. Uh, actually, I don't think it was... Actually, I think Karloff was in it. Oh, might be, might be. I know there are I a think it was Karloff, actually, Karloff. now that I think about it. Might be. I, I, this is probably stuff I'm going to have to research later. And, and <laughs> sure, and it probably is stuff I did research while doing these questions and then forgot as we went along. Where we stand, we're going to question five. We'll be taking a short break soon, but uh, pretty good game going on so far. Jim's still in the lead with seven. Badger is four and a half, and Jerry has four. So still anyone's game. Jim, you're getting question number five first for being in the lead. Okay. Do characters in Cthulhu Mythos stories always die at the end? No. No? Okay. They might be reanimated. Oh, okay. Jerry, what about you? Do characters in Cthulhu Mythos stories always die at the end? Not always. Uh, I would say a large majority, at least from the couple I remember. Die Monster Die, I believe the main character dies. But I want to say it's 50-50. Okay, not too bad, not too bad. And Badger, what about you? Do characters in Cthulhu Mythos stories always die at the end? I don't know if they always die, but they're very, very depressing, and I'm sure the people reading them might wish they were dead instead. That's a bleak outlook. It's still, 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 <laughs> so y'all get Lovecraft. A, well, very true. Oh, I'm giving, I'm giving you another half a point for that last comment. That, that works. Good, good, good pull into that. But y'all get a point on that one. Badger gets one and a half points for pulling into there. Um, the fact is, no, they don't always die. They usually go batshit insane in the end. Uh, that's pretty much something that virtually happens in every story. Someone has completely lost their mind, which, um, again, hence plays why into there's, it. Hence why Nicholas Cage is one of them. Which is Dude, well, uh, you know, when you're a mortal vampire, you, you're, you're not going to be a sane person to begin with. So, I, I do this love is Nick Cage. We're talking about yes, exactly. No, there are theories out there that he is a ageless vampire because they found like pictures of him from like the Civil War. 
Oh, now he's one. Now he's Wonder Woman. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. Almost like it. He's Wonder Woman. No, they, he's one of the people they think is a vampire. Him and uh, the British royal family. These are real conspiracies. <laughs> Look it up. But, but, you know, pause the show and, and, and search some of these. Uh, cassette tapes and treats is another one. All right. Question number six before I go off on some weird conspiracy theory tangent. Um, this is a good question. We're going to go with the um, we'll go with the educated in the room. Badger, what <laughs> university is featured in many Cthulhu mythos stories? What university? Yes. Gosh, that would assume that I've read a lot of his stuff, which, no. Let me guess. Um, being he never really left Rhode Island, would it be the University of Rhode Island? I don't know if it was around when he was around. Okay, uh, another uh, guess? <laughs> oh, no, we're not given three tries. Jerry, what about you? Do you know what university is featured in many Cthulhu Mythos stories? I... <laughs> It starts with an M, I know that. Because mm. I actually read something about this about a week ago. Because I was talking to one of my co-workers at work. We were talking about Lovecraft, and I may mention that you were a big Lovecraft fan. And he made mention of uh, you know some of the constant themes that were going on. And he mentioned the university, and it starts with an M. Interesting. Um, um, miss something, not Missouri, not Mississippi. Sorry, it's miss something. I'm, I know that. Right. I can't. I, I don't know the name because it, it's not a name I've ever heard before. Interesting, Jim. What about you? Do you know the name of the university? I know this name absolutely. I was just itching for you to call my name. It is the Miskatonic University. I've heard Why, of this. yes, it is. Exactly. Miskatonic. And it gets gets slid into a bunch of neat things, too. If if you're a haunt and haunt designing, slide it in there someplace. We Our graveyard, when we do a graveyard scene, would always have Miskatonic on the gate above it. It sounds like it's like from Minnesota or Wisconsin. Is it a real university, or is it just no, a... No, I don't know if the Miskatonic River is real in uh, Massachusetts, but ideally... Um, Miskatonic University in the uh, Cthulhu Mythos stories, um, you know, not all of them written by Lovecraft, but he, you know, initially put it in our people will will feature it in there. But the university is on the Miskatonic River in Arkham, which is the fictional city that, um, oh. you know, some of this stuff goes around. Um, and, you know, this is usually the university which will send out the scholars to go looking for, you know, strange happenings in Antarctica or, you know, take a boat down uh, to see, you know, what weird islands are appearing off of Australia and things. So, well, that absolutely. Was, I was going to say that was, just, you know, it stuck in my head because it was so unique. It, it is, and it's it, it's it's a neat thing. So if you ever see a T-shirt with Mis Miskatonic University on it, just buy it because you'll be the coolest <laughs> kid in the uh, actor uh, uh, prep area. I, I got one for my general manager uh, years ago uh, it's because he's a big fan of that. So uh, we're going to take a little break here. After six questions, Jim gets two points on that one, keeping him in the lead at ten. Wow. Jerry gets a point on that one because it's right on the tip of his tongue. He was right there with it. So he's at six. 
And Badger also has six points uh, at this point in the game. And Badger, uh, maybe you should take us out and let us know of a, uh, you know, who's sponsoring the uh, 13 Questions of Doom this week. Well, currently at this moment, we don't have a true sponsor for the Roundtable of Terror or the 13 Questions of Doom. So if you, a haunt vendor who provides a product or and or service, would like to be a fine sponsor of the Roundtable of Terror, contact Storm at BigScaryShow.com and he will give you all the details on how to do that very thing. We are going to take a very short break here to play this important message and we'll be right back. In 1897, Dr. Alexander Hammond arrived at an institution for the criminally insane, only to discover the unsolved murders of several guards. Where are we? Jerry Vane takes you into Black Moon Asylum, a twisted abyss of torment, madness, and the horrifying mystery of Patient 292. Time for your medication. Black Moon Asylum, a symphonic journey into darkness from instrumentalist Jerry Vane. Download Black Moon Asylum at jerryvane.com, iTunes, cdbaby.com, Amazon MP3, and your favorite download site. Welcome back to the Roundtable of Terror, where we are doing our very soon-to-be-famous game show, The 13 Questions of Doom, where we hope to tickle your tentacles on some knowledge about Lovecraft. Our host is Storm. Tickle so your what? Tickle your tentacles. That's fantastic. That is absolutely fantastic. What the hell was that? Take it away, Storm. Uh, I, I get he's not going into like Japanese animes thing. It did a lot of a lot of uh, the horrors in uh, Cthulhu Mythos have tentacles. Staying away from oh the Japanese hell. tentacles and eyeballs, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> you know, in, in in a horrific sense, not in a really perverted sense. Let's keep the hentai out of it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, oh God! No idea. Bible Black. <laughs> no, we are not anyway. talking about Bible Black. We're, we're 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 coming into the second half here. Before we get too wild with this, we we definitely want to you know these last uh, six, six questions are fantastic for thirteen questions of doom. We are in currently in the middle of round twelve, the Cthulhu Mythos edition, and uh, Jim's in the lead. So we're going to throw question number seven at Jim first. Jim, name a god other than Cthulhu. Oh. You're putting me on the spot here. I hate this. That's the idea of it. You're in the lead. This is what happens. I know. I know you haven't been here much, but this is this is where we throw you. I you know. You the disadvantage for being smart. Well, I'm not smart all the time. <laughs> oh, you're yes, killing this, me this, here. This is a new issue for uh, Jim. Uh, apparently, it is, and I'm 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 drawing a blank. Oh shit! Give me just give me a second here. <laughs> Let me think. We really need to have the Jeopardy music just like on 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 go for it right now. And you know, listeners, while Jim's looking, if you want to get bored and uh, just go ahead and Google a video of the Calamari comeback state, <laughs> it, it's a fantastic video from the Democratic Nas- uh, National Convention where <laughs> Rhode Island talks about Calamari and how our governor is letting boats sell Calamari to people. Because I guess you couldn't before. But the most amazing thing is the chef holding the calamari who looks like he's going to beat you within an inch of your life if you do not eat 
my Rhode Island calamari with the tentacles today. Rhode Island calamari, <laughs> very crispy, and it has banana peppers. Okay. The hell? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm probably going to butcher this name, but... I butchered them all tonight too. Go for it. Uh, it's uh, Azatoff. I think that's one in there. We'll, we'll give you a point for that one. That's that's a. I, I, I'm not even it sure. That's sounds right. familiar, but, but that might be from something else. I I think you may have thrown in a god from Dungeons and Dragons in there. Um, but it, it could be in there. I, I'm going to give you a point. Uh, let's go to Abe Frobman. Um, Abe, uh, do you, can you name a god other than Cthulhu? Jerry, that's you. Well, I was actually going to say he's actually correct on that because, uh, Azathoth is an outer god. There we go. Oh. (laughs) I know this because Azathoth is also a black metal man. There we go. So, I know this. (laughs) But, um... The one that I was thinking of actually was uh, <coughs> excuse me a second, sorry. Um, the the name that I uh, have seen on a few different is Bast, B A S T. I've seen that name several times in, in regards to uh, some of the Lovecraft stuff that I've read, Ooh, and he on was, an, he's an elder god, I think. Give me points on that one, even just right. for knowing elder gods and. Verified gems, you know. You know. I do know I stuff. So, I do know some many. things. Yeah, what to do? I do know some we things. Know some things. We know you know some things, especially kick-ass music. But yeah, yes, I, this is, I tried to write down many of these, and there's just only so many characters you could put in Excel. And I mean, some of these <laughs> names, you know, there's only so many T's and G's you can fit before your keyboard explodes. <laughs> but but I'm for for a bonus point. There there's one name of one of the gods. That is probably one of the easiest ones that I've actually that I've actually seen the most. And it's darkness. Darkness is considered a god. I'll give you bonus points on that one too. Yeah, it is. It's a sibling of one one of the other ones. Correct. Badger, what about you? A lot of people know one of my favorite bands is Guar, and they have a song called "The Horror of Yig." Y-I-G. And I believe that is named after one of the Lovecraftian gods. We'll give it to you. We'll give you a couple of points. You also mentioned one earlier in the show, too. So, you know, you're getting credit for both. So, uh, Jerry with the bonus points, three points on that one. Badger, two points on that one. And one for Jim. So, the, the game is getting closer as we go into question number eight. Ah, question number eight. Here's a fun one. This one's good. Badger, I'm going to throw this one to you first. Um just because you, you might know the most on real estate. Where does Cthulhu sleep? Underneath would probably be the simple answer. But under under the deep depths of the ocean? Not too bad. That's not too All bad. the uh, pictures I see of him rising, he's always coming out of the ocean, so I assume somewhere beneath the darkest depths of the sea. He is technically a water elemental, so we'll, we'll go with that. Uh, Jim, what about you? Where does Cthulhu sleep? Huh. Well, from what I've read in the past, uh, I'm going to say he sleeps underneath the Pacific Ocean. 
too bad. Interesting. We'll give you a point on that one. Jerry, what about you? Can you get some extra points on this one? Where does Cthulhu sleep? Um, I'm throwing going on a limb on this one. Uh, even though he's based in Rhode Island, a lot of his stories seem to take place over in the Pacific. I don't know why, but I, from what I, the, what I've read, I, I, I want to, and I'm, I'm really digging on this one because I keep seeing Pacific Ocean brought up in a lot of his stuff. So I'm going to go on a limb on that one. All right. Not too bad, not too bad. The, the actual ultimate correct answer is Cthulhu Sleeps in a quaint little Airbnb in an affluent neighborhood in the city of Relith. <laughs> Relith actually is a sunken ancient city that occasionally comes to the surface in the Pacific Ocean, so all three of you do get a point. But uh, that, oh, that's damn. where we go. But you, you know, that quaint a Airbnb? A quaint <laughs> Airbnb in an affluent neighborhood. But is, but, but is it COVID safe? <laughs> I be right now, he's the only occupant, so I think we're good. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be close to Australia and New, New Zealand. They know what the hell they're doing because, well, other than in Hobbits, there's no reason to go there, so they, they've got it down good. <laughs> Jerry, you probably know this question, so we'll throw you question number nine at you first. Uh, what director and actor were rumored to be part of the latest at the Mountains of Madness adaptation movie? This is, a, this, is a few, this is a few years ago. A uh, few years ago, but what director and actor were rumored to be part of the latest adaptation of the story at the Mountains of Madness? Um, I want to say it was uh, uh, Tarantino and um, well, uh, Christopher Walken. Both are wrong, but I'm giving you a point just because I would love to see a. <laughs> you know, you know, Cthulhu movie. You know, Cthulhu. if anybody makes sense to be involved in that, it's those two. No, oh, the, the, the the ones who who were really serious about it. Universal sucks because they they were hesitant on this, especially being, you know, uh, wanting to do it as an R-rated movie. Uh, you know, this was rumors before even Deadpool came out to show that you can do Don't these Don't say the things. answer because you, these two still have to answer. I'm not, but uh, okay. exactly, I am. But uh, <laughs> uh, No, this it, it's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, Jim, what about you? What director and actor, uh, two different people, were rumored to be part of the latest At the Mountains of Madness adaptation movie? Um, just because of, of its uniqueness uh i'm going to say uh guillermo del toro is a director um and as far as the actor goes that's a tough one because del toro is notorious for being very particular about his actors in a film he does um so i'm going to say uh, i'm going to try ryan reynolds Interesting, interesting. Badger, what about you? What director and actor were rumored to be part of the latest at the Mountains of Madness adaptation? Uh, I think it was Guillermo del Toro, and I think it was Tom Cruise. If I recall correctly, we may have mentioned this on the news several months ago. 
Well, actually, it should be a story from years ago. If there's more traction to or it, some months, time ago. That, that's great. But again, the guy who says, I don't know movies, I don't know how I'm going to do this, <laughs> knocks it out of the park because, yes, that that is the team who were, were really attached to that movie. And if, uh, you know, other, other things didn't get in the way and, and the budget and, and Universal not wanting to be an R movie, they, they were both on board. So three points to Badger. Uh, two points for Jim for getting Del Toro right, and Jerry, we're giving you a point two on that one. Uh, just again for Terrence. We're now. talking about doing this. As I said, it, it's been a while back since I mm. remember putting this in, but I don't remember how long back. Like That's the thing. Two I, years, three years. I I thought oh. it was only like two or three years ago, but they were talking back in like 2015. I guess oh. is is okay. when Universal says, "Oh, we don't want to do an R-rated movie." I'm like, "God, it is this." cosmic horror and it, 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 it's a very tough story there have been movies and stuff that have done it but uh, again it takes place in Antarctica and pretty much the only movie that's succeeded in taking place in Antarctica is the thing you know <laughs> I, I think that might be one of the reasons why Godzilla King of Monsters was only, only <laughs> too much in, Ar- in Antarctica so not too bad this this is a really close race so far there there I think Three questions I, left. I think March of the Penguins was a good movie from Antarctica. <laughs> I'm Morgan Freeman, and here are some penguins. That's all you need to know. Great movie. Pretty much. Pretty much. We'll go with it. <laughs> we'll go with it. It's true. Penguins in the South Pole. All right. Jerry, we'll, we'll give you this one first. This might be a good one for you. Jerry, what's a Shogoth? It's like a show-off, but he's got. Give you a point on that one. That's completely <laughs> wrong, but it's great. I mean, it might even fall into that. Uh, Badger, what about you? What's a Shogoth? Uh, I know it's a monster, but I don't know if it's a god or if it's just your old run-of-the-mill Cthulhu-like monster something. We'll give you a point for getting it, you know, within a monster. I mean, comparing it to Cthulhu, uh, yeah, you I don't, don't know. No, you, you never, you never even let me finish answering yeah. Shogoth, if I remember correctly, he's like a slime-like creature with multiple eyes. Well, okay. You're serious with your other answer. Oh, interesting. Oh, I, I, I thought the wisecrack answer was a serious No! One. Wow. <laughs> no. I've been doing this game too long. <laughs> interesting. Said I wanted to keep it moving. Huh. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Jim, what about you? What's a Shogoth? A Shogoth is a creature, obviously, but it's also amorphous can, and can take different shapes at will. It's it's pretty close. Uh, you and Jerry definitely got that one. Actually, I'm giving Jerry a little bit more on that one because he got it with the eyes. Okay. Uh, you know that, that, that definitely pretty much. You know what we're giving. We, Giving Jerry the bonus point on that one because the actual correct answer of a Shogoth is a indescribable horror with a myriad of temporary eyes. Just the concept of that is awful. Just, oh, look, I have temporary eyes. Temporary eyes doesn't give you a heebie jeebies. Anything that has to do with eyes gives me the heebie-jeebies, dude. Exactly. <laughs> Something that has temporary eyes. That could have an eye hanging out there and then suddenly it doesn't. Dude, why would you even do that? This is why this stuff is like, oh, good good horror, good good 
good darkness stuff. So we're we're we're, we're we've got a really close race going on here. This is it's good going in the last two questions, which are, uh, are some. In, oh wait, I'm sorry, I can't count. We're only on question number eleven, so there are three left. So this really is anybody's game. Badger, we're going to throw this one to you first because you like to cook. Badger. Every time around Thanksgiving, we see the five. In, uh, we see a kathurki. <laughs> what are the five ingredients of a kathurki? Okay, there is a turkey, mm -hmm. and I gotta see. I know there's. I'm trying to think what makes a regular tofurkey. Or whatever. No, no, called. not tofu. You're no, thinking turducken. No, turducken. Yes, which is a turkey stuffed with a duck, stuffed, stuffed. with a chicken. Right. Ah, uh, it's a turkey stuffed with like a squid or an octopus. Mm -hmm. And then there's, I was gonna say the duck and the chicken and the stuffing and all that, but the main ingredient is something tentacled. I'll say octopus because it's probably easier to find than squid. Got some points there. I'm giving points, you know, for each of the ingredients you get. Jim, what about you? You, you known to dabble in the kitchen. What are the five ingredients of a kathurki? Well, obviously the turkey, mm -hmm. uh, and then and then the octopus because I remember seeing these before. Okay. There's also crab involved. Ooh. Um, and I'm trying to remember the other two ingredients. And they're I am I'm drawing a blank on them and I'm ugh. The crab turkey um uh, chicken and uh I don't know Jerry's head. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. All right, well, we, we got some points going on that one. Jerry, what about you? Can you validate what Jim's got going on there? Or do, do, you, do you know what the five ingredients of a kathurki are? Hey, you remember that, remember that post earlier, Jim, about the asshole? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's your answer. <laughs> um, I, I honestly do not know. I've never heard of it. So no? I'm, no, I've never heard of it. Well, Kathurki, it's always, you know, every once in a while, somebody on your timeline around Thanksgiving will post one. And it is a turkey stuffed with an octopus with snow crab legs hanging out of it. It contains bacon because everything needs to contain bacon. And it's made with either love or hate. One of those two would be acceptable. <laughs> those are the five main ingredients of a Kathurki. Oh, love it. So Jim, Jim, you you had the most there because you even remembered the, the snow crab in there, which was good, uh, but not too bad. Some points there, you know. Still time for uh, Jerry and Badger to catch up. All right, the next question, and uh, I'll throw this one at Jerry first. I think he might be able to get this one. Jerry, a type of group is the idol of Cthulhu taken from in Call of Cthulhu. Should we repeat that again? Type of group is the idol of Cthulhu taken from in the Call of Cthulhu story? Oh, idol as uh, in... Okay. Idol as in, you know, like a little, 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 little like a stone thing. thing. I'm, I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking at one 
okay. of myself that I have. It's on my desk. Little Cthulhu sitting on a block with all kinds of weird writing on it. It's not octopus, is it? Well, it is, but but what kind of group had one of these, and it was taken from them, and and that's why the people in the story call Cthulhu are looking for him. Oh, um, well, they were cultists. I know that, mm-hmm. um, but I don't remember what. The, uh, it was a like a um, like a, I don't want to say I want I don't know why the term galactic just came to hit my mind, but. Um, it was, they were cultists, I know that. But I, I, I honestly do not know. Galactic cult. Interesting. Badger, what about you? Do you know what type of group the Idol of Cthulhu was taken from in the story Call of Cthulhu? If the movie Dagon, or Dagon, or however you <laughs> pronounce it, I mentioned before, had anything to do with it, there's some order or cult of Dagon or Dagon but I don't know if that was I don't know if that was based off of Call of Cthulhu or if that was something else but that's the only group I can even remotely remember the something cult of Dagon or something group or order of Dagon 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 interesting good 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 story and go with it no nah, they didn't have any Cthulhu idols on them so no okay they'll go from uh, there a different cult but uh no I but Jim, what about you? What type of group is the idol of Cthulhu taken from in the story called Cthulhu? A voodoo cult. Ooh. Somebody knows their their shit. Yes, it is a voodoo cult, which is really awesome. You know, they, they actually go into a swamp in the story and break up a voodoo ceremony and they get this weird green and black stone. Cthulhu idol from them. So, yes, definitely. Uh, Badger and Jerry, I'm giving you points for getting cult, but Jim definitely gets the uh, bonus points for knowing it was a voodoo cult, which is phenomenal and really neat whenever I see uh, vendors and stuff who incorporate that into uh, some of their uh, uh, artwork and stuff for H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and especially Cthulhu. If I see something voodoo related, it's great. That's why a Cthulhu voodoo doll is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so we got one question left. Uh, Jim has a pretty commanding lead at the moment. He's got 21 points. Both Badger and Jerry are not far behind. 15, so a really creative, fun answer might get you a steal here we'll have to see uh badger we're going to throw this one at you first give you give you a chance to really come up with some bonus points and some interesting things question number 13 tonight on 13 questions of doom what percentage of haunted attractions contain an aspect of uh cthulhu mythos Is there an actual number that you know, or is this just yes. based on yes, personal there is. experience? There is an actual Ooh. number that I know. Wow. Because there's a lot that I've seen that have, you know, stuff that could be considered. Oof. I'll say somewhere in the neighborhood of 30%. 30? Wow. That may be high, but that's... Interesting. Wow. Jerry, what about you? What what percentage of haunted attractions contain some sort of aspect of the Cthulhu mythos? I'd say good. Uh, uh, from what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've read, um, 
seems to be more than not. Um, but at, to make it an actual, uh, I've seen, well, I, I can tell you right now, I, I know one that definitely did, and that was Gooley Manor. I mean, that was their, that was their uh, logo. Um, I would say at least a good 50%. Okay, interesting. Have made, yeah. ha, have made some have made some reference or uh, to having Cthulhu in their uh, in, in their haunt in some way or another. Jerry thinks it doesn't have to be an actual full reference to Cthulhu. It's just got to have something of the mythos. It's part of their haunt. It's just something <laughs> Lovecraftian. Mm, to a degree, yes. Oh, okay. Jim, what about you? What percentage of haunt attractions contain an aspect of Cthulhu mythos? Well, you know what, Storm, I'm going to go, it, what's the saying, go big or go home? Sure. I'm going to say 90%. 90, oh, 90, huh, interesting. Uh, the, the actual answer, again, not scientific, but it, it, it is the answer, and I'd love anyone to try and prove me wrong, 100%. There, there, <laughs> is, there is something that's also in one of these uh, stories or one of his hundred thousand dark letters or something, it's in there. Witches, goats, rats, everything is in there. You can even say one of one of these, you know, uh, elder old gods, uh, Neothorp. You could even say he was an evil clown. Uh, so pretty much everything, it, you know, y your haunt has something that is within a Cthulhu mythos in there. Like we said, you know, they were finding the Cthulhu idol with voodoo. So if you have a voodoo scene, technically, you know, we got a cross there with the Cthulhu uh, mythos. So technically every haunt, and as it should be, has some sort of influence or aspect on these dark, disturbing um, cosmic horror aspects. So that that's going to do it for tonight. So... Rounding out the uh, the score tonight, getting a uh, box of rice aroni and the home game is Badger with 15 points. Not too bad. 15 points on 13 questions to doom. That's that's a good night. Jerry also taking home a case of turtle wax with the home game. Uh, it has 16 points in second place. Very good again for 13 questions of doom when you have more points and questions. But the one knocking out of park with his first win is Jim. 23 points tonight. He knows it's Cthulhu. Yay! You get a lifetime supply of squid. Woot, woot. All with right. <laughs> Congrats. I finally won one. Calamari <laughs> with extra tentacles. Yummy. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that has been our 13 questions of doom for this episode. Storm, any final words? No, but place your scores, rewind it, play again at home, play with your friends. Makes it all fun, but, uh, you know, we, we hope to hear from more listeners and stuff going on. We hope to get out to some of these conventions. We, we love the, you know, the, the shows this year are going to be interesting. And we, we want to see where where some of these, at, you know, I prove me wrong if you don't think you got anything Cthulian mythos in your haunt. Because you do, which is not a bad thing. There's, it's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> Well, you can certainly try to send that evidence to Storm at BigScaryShow.com. We want to thank Storm for being the host once again for the 12th edition or the 12th round of the 13 Questions of Doom. We want to congratulate Meat Hook Jim for being the winner this time. Jerry Vane, Jim. For, <laughs> Jerry Vane for coming in second and me for once again coming in rock bottom. <sighs> but hey, hey at least hang I got him with the my... deep old ones with Dagon. 
I think I have my eighth edition of the home game right now at home. Once again, folks, this was the 13 Questions of Doom here on the Roundtable of Terror for The Big Scary Show. And we'll be right back. Don't you go away. You know there is a website where we can create our own game itself. Uh, you know, I was just saying, too, we, you know, this, this probably would make it absolutely terrible cap if we had a bunch of resources to throw at it for nothing. To take your haunt to a new dimension of terror, then let dark imaginings conjure up some ghoulish graphics and web design services for your home, haunt, or crypt. To see more of our products and services, drop by darkimaginings.com. Let us help you get ahead of your competition. <laughs> Greetings, listeners, and welcome. Watch out. Don't trip over that torso. It's time for Between the Corpses. Greetings, listeners. Meat Hook Jim here with another episode of Between the Corpses, and this time we are going all the way around the world to the country of New Zealand and the Maori people. Traditional Maori believe that the spirit continues to exist after death and that the deceased will always be a part of the marae. Once someone has died, they will go to the spirit world. It is important for Maori to see the person before they die if possible, so friends and family will visit the person to pray and provide support. Depending on the tribal group, there may be slightly different customs followed when someone dies. The ceremony of tuku will be carried out to free the spirit from the body. The body will be prepared, for example, the deceased's hair may be traditionally oiled, combed, and decorated with feathers. The person will be dressed in the fine clothes, perhaps traditional Maori garments, if that is their wish. The body will not be left alone at any time until it is buried. It will be taken to the marais so that people can pay their respects. A karanga is performed welcoming the spirit and body onto the marais. Family and friends share their grief openly and loudly. The night before the burial, Wahanu, the family and friends, gather to sing songs to remember the dead. At the funeral speeches, at the funeral speeches are given and a eulogy by a close family member. After the funeral mourners wash their hands and share food, and after the meal, a karakia invocation is held, storytelling about the deceased and singing. A group of Maori remains at the marae to remove the tapu, sanctity, from where the body lay. The body is usually buried rather than cremated, so it can be returned to 
Papatunuku, Mother Earth. There will be a short karakia, and members of the immediate family will be present. Once the burial has taken place, the family is welcomed back onto the marae, and everyone gathers for a big feast. The family's house is then blessed to make sure the spirit of the deceased does not linger in it. Close relatives may stay longer to help the immediate family get over their loss. Maori believe the dead should be remembered and respected so the family will regularly visit the grave. Well, there you go. um, I had no idea uh, that it would be like that in New Zealand, but given the Maori people, it makes sense. But um, that's it for this episode. Catch you on the next one. A naked corpse lying face down in a pool of blood. The decapitated body of a beautiful girl. The smell of death is in the air. Someone should have warned them about the horror on Snape Island. But what was the real horror? Horror on Snape Island. And you'll scream too. From the Fanfare Corporation, rated R. weird bittersweet time of year because you know the Halloween stuff has come out in the stores some of your plans are finalizing you're you're trying to figure out exactly what you're doing for the season but then you also run into something called haunt jealousy yes haunt jealousy where you start seeing other people with other stuff that makes you want it and and want to do haunting and, and you're jealous of their things and stuff and the ultimate haunt jealousy item right now are the um, well, let's talk about the 12-foot skeleton in the room. The 12-foot skeletons from Home Cheapo. Uh, they're not really that cheap, but there's a good reason and stuff, too. You know, these things were amazing and caught my eye and everything, even before I saw that they had digital eyes that move around. Just awesome. You know, of course, any haunter at, at, at heart is like, I want one. I don't know what the hell I'll do with it, but I want one. You know, same thing with me. And... So, you know, even this weekend, I, we, you know, went on a quest uh, to 
get some foam pumpkins for a project I want to do, the carvable ones. Apparently, they're made out of gold this year because they're a zillion dollars a piece. So that was hunting around with my poor wife. And then, you know, Home Depot. And I've been seeing people showing the Home Depot displays for Halloween and Lowe's and big lots of stores. And it's like, oh, yes, this will be great. So I warned my wife. I'm like, um, you might have to talk me out of buying a completely unnecessary 12-foot skeleton. And we go in, and no Halloween's. No, it's not out. For some reason, New England, even though it's the middle of August, and other places have it, no Halloween stuff here. So, uh, you know, my haunt jealousy is e- even more, because now they, they don't even have it for me to look at. And meanwhile, I, I look at my Facebook or my social media, and people are buying two, three, four of them at a time. What are you going to do with four of them? I hope it's amazing, because I want to see it. But I'm going to be so jealous, and you know that too, and you're going to do it. So people are doing amazing things with this. And then here's the kicker. Because, you know, I get some other stuff I need for the house and things, and, you know, they try and justify a home cheapo trip, you know, not just to oogle over Halloween stuff that's not even out. And the girl at the counter is like, do 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 did you find everything you're looking for today? I'm like, no, I was hoping to see Halloween displays. You don't have them out yet. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And believe me, she was not, not that apologetic. I, I, I probably have more, uh, you know, inflection in my voice with it because I care. I, I am sorry. She was not sorry. And I knew it in my head. And I'm like, you're not sorry. No, you're not sorry. I just have to go home and look on my phone at the jealousy and, you know, try and explain to my, you know, in-laws of, of why these things are amazing and look for them and stuff. But, you know, pawn jealousy this year, it's in the form of a 12-foot skeleton, which, you know, honestly, I have no idea what the hell I'd do with it and where I'd put it. But I want one because pawn jealousy. So until next time, keep every minute scary. Tune in next episode for another Haunt Minute. And in the meantime, share your opinions on the Big Scary Show Facebook page and on Twitter at Big Scary Storm. Hi, this is Josh Gates from Travel Channel's Expedition Unknown, reminding you to send all hate mail to storm at bigscaryshow.com. haunted house owners, actors, and enthusiasts. Join the new Ohio Haunters Association. We are working with haunters across the state, from home to pro, to strengthen the Ohio haunt community. Open to all owners, actors, makeup artists, prop builders, designers, and Halloween paranormal enthusiasts. The Ohio Haunters Association, where haunting is the heart of it all. Look for us on Facebook.
And welcome once again, Frighteners, to yet another edition of the Weister's Haunted Vista. And here we are in late August, and you all know what that means, don't you? That would be irresponsible and unethical. Well, who said anything about ethics, right, dear listeners? <laughs> in this year of all sorts of difficulties, a pandemic and all kinds of political shenanigans. Our season of seasons is nearly upon us, and it is welcomed with open arms. And with all of that in mind, we are now in part six of my series, The Horror of It All. My top hundred horror films for Halloween viewing. We're in the big 50 now here, folks, so buckle your seatbelt. As I mentioned last segment, I'm going to be answering a few questions regarding apartment haunting for the home haunters, but at the end of the segment. So once these 10 films in this part of the series are finished, hang out for a few minutes and take a listen. The recent roundtable of terror where home haunters were featured and where I was also part of raise some interesting points, and I'm going to bring them up towards the end of this segment. But for now, we'll begin with number 50. They talk of the savage beast who prowls these catacombs with a fierce hunger and sharp teeth six inches long. Sorry, 16 inches long. Well, for this 2008 flick, that would be kind of small proportions, wouldn't it? I'm, of course, referring to the revolutionary kaiju film Cloverfield, which popped up in January of that year and kind of revolutionized that whole genre with its first-person perspectives of handheld cameras, not to mention a very interesting twist on the giant monster theme. The first-person camera thing is obviously a holdover for something like Blair Witch Project, but it really, really gave this film an extra push. Cloverfield was unique in as much as there was no explanation where this beast came from, why it was tearing New York to pieces, or the fact that we were losing, not to mention its very ambiguous ending, adding into that the little soundbite that rolls over the tail end of the end credit music. Go listen for yourself, you'll see what I'm talking about. Now, there were a sequel or two to this film which absolutely did no good for the original. Believe me, they were terrible. But as it stands, Cloverfield really inspired the recent burst of Kaiju films in and of itself. I mean, Pacific Rim, Godzilla, Kong Skull Island, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and the upcoming Godzilla vs. Kong probably would not have happened had Cloverfield not been a success. And it's a well-done action spooky movie. This is something you can show the kids, but I guarantee you, I wouldn't show it to too many young ones if you haven't seen it before. It's intense. And that's what really is this film savings grace. It's intensity, it's believability, and it's plausibility. And quite frankly, giant monster movies would never be the same again. But therein is a tale for another day. Number 49. Nineteen eighty seven was an interesting year in regards to horror films. You had things like Nightmare on Elm Street Three, Dream Warriors, most notably though things like the little underground chestnut called Near Dark, and of course the big hit in Joel Schulmacher's The Lost Boys. There was also this film, 
the Monster Squad, which basically was the Universal Monsters versus the Little Rascals, which didn't really fare very well at the box office at all, but it developed a cult audience with time, and it is held in very high regards by a large segment. And this is one you can watch with your kids. There are some generally frightening moments, and the makeups are pretty interesting as well. They're just familiar enough so you understand it as Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, etc., but they're changed enough as not to copyright infringe upon Jack Pierce's legendary work. The film has its moments. There's some genuinely good scares. There's some very sweet moments with the kids as well, and some very funny lines. I mean, this is where we got that Wolfman's Got Nards bit from all those years ago, if you remember that. And, like I said, this is what you can watch with your kids, but prepare them. There's a couple of genuinely frightening moments, but it's fun. This is the kind of thing that is like a successor, in a way, to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, but with little kids as a centerpiece. While not a classic, time has been very kind to this film, and it's well worth another viewing for the makeups and some of the action alone. Very nicely done, and on to number 48. In 1977, the BBC unleashed upon an unsuspecting Britain, not to mention America, a very big-budget, classy remake of Count Dracula, featuring none other than Louis Jordan. This aired on local PBS stations in the States, and I saw this thing in the spring of that year, and it scared the daylights out of me. Now, granted, it's quite tame by today's standards, but the atmospherics, the blood, and it's pretty graphic for its time. Louis Jordan is very suave and seductive and very well-mannered as Count Dracula in this, but he carries a very dull rage about him. He's quite effective, if somewhat off the center. The rest of the cast is superior, and if this is moody, gothic, atmospheric, and very 1970s too, by the way, the effects are dated in some regards, so that should give you a little hint, but still. For atmospherics alone, this is well worth the time investments. And as I said, Louis Jordan is remarkable as Count Dracula, one of the best interpretations in my honest opinion. As a matter of actual fact, the BBC preempted a vampire storyline that was going to feature on that year's series of Doctor Who, which just shows how much time and investment they had rolled up into this thing. But then again, that's a story for another day. And on to number 47. If there's any proof needed of the comedic genius of both Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder combined, this film, 1974's Young Frankenstein, one of the all-time great horror comedy classics, proves it in spades. This film is over 35 years old now, and it still can elicit more laughs than I've seen a lot of modern comedies ever do. There's a lot of sight gags, a lot of comedy, and a real love for the classic universal horror films. Look at how painstakingly detailed Mel Brooks went to recreating some of those old sets, not to mention the comedic genius of Wilder, Peter O'Boyle, a very young Terry Garr, and Cloris Leachman, and well, you've got a hit on your hands anyway, you slice it. I wouldn't recommend this for really young kids, because like I said, this has some really adult and um, 
<clears throat> slightly risque humor to it, as Brooks always does. As far as parodies go, this, along with Blazing Saddles and Frenzy, really represents the pinnacle of Mel Brooks' work. Mel Brooks, again, tried to do something along the lines of this in the mid-1990s with Dracula Dead and Loving It, featuring Leslie Nielsen in the title role, and it just didn't work. It wasn't funny. And as I said, these films, in particular Young Frankenstein, represent the man's comedic genius to the hilt. I mean, in all honesty, how many references to the original Frankenstein films can you stuff into one film? I dare you to try and count them all. And on to number 46. Universal Studios' classic cable of monsters would not be complete without mentioning 1933's The Invisible Man, a tour de force for lead actor Claude Rains, who is never seen in the film up until the last few moments. This is one of those flicks that can make you scream and it can make you laugh all at the same time, and it was not lost on the producers either. There's a certain dry wit to this flick, as Rains in his quest to explore invisibility goes slowly and more and more, Cracker Bell crazy, and is reflected in his performance very, very well. But at the same time, the producers have not lost sight of the idea of the ridiculousness of the concept of an invisible man, something that was kind of lost on H.G. Wells when he wrote the book. Regardless of that, it is a classic of its kind, and it spawned a ton of sequels, The Invisible Man's Revenge, The Invisible Man Returns, etc., 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 even to the point where Abbott and Costello meet The Invisible Man, and just this year, a high-tech, reimagined version of The Invisible Man, which actually works very, very well. But nothing quite tops an original does it, and this one is the one to go to if you really want to get a taste of what the character was all about. And on to 45. As far as Hammer's Dracula series goes, 1966's Dracula Prince of Darkness stands head and shoulders above most of the sequels that followed and is almost neck and neck, haha, with the 1958 horror of Dracula. Christopher Lee had finally been coaxed back into the series after eight long years. He refused to do 1960's Brides of Dracula on fear of being typecast, and he says not one word through the entire production. This is either because of the plot or the fact that Lee wanted too much money, so they made Dracula mute in this film. But as far as the storyline goes, this really is one of the best. Tense, building, atmospheric and generally frightening at points and Lee outdoes himself. His fangs are amazing and while Peter Cushing is not in this film the character of Father Sandor makes a suitable and very funny replacement indeed. One of the best of the horror series and one of Dracula's best death scenes too. Strongly recommended and not for little kids either. It's pretty gory for its time. And again this is one of Hammer's best so if you haven't seen it only yet Shame on you. Go watch immediately. And now to number 44. (laughs) 
I've always found Tim Burton's films to be kind of a mixed bag. When he hits, and he hits it hard, it goes right out of the park. Things like Sleepy Hollow, Batman and Batman Returns, Nightmare Before Christmas, Corpse Bride, etc., etc., really stand as the pinnacle of this man's quirky, morbid, somewhat joyful style. And with that in mind, I'm throwing in 1988's Beetlejuice, which actually was very, very um, instrumental in getting Michael Keaton the role of Batman, which is funnier even still, because this role for Keaton is basically like a 15-20 minute cameo, with the main stars Gina Davis, Alec Baldwin, and a very young Winona Ryder dominating the film. Really, go back and watch the original flick. Keaton's not in it very much, but when he does, he just absolutely chews up the scenery. It's hysterically funny. This also introduced into a goth culture a kind of day-glow pop art kind of look, which has just popped up everywhere and is all over the place still. Beetlejuice's look actually had quite a hand in designing his follow-up a few years later in Nightmare Before Christmas. Compare the two films, you'll see a stylistic similarity. Granted, it's Burton, but that Dayglow thing really took hold in this country via this movie. Great Halloween fun. Safe for kids. I mean, if they designed a Saturday morning cartoon after this film was a hit, that should tell you something. And really, it captures a vibe in Burton's work of the late 80s, which was kind of missing afterwards. He changed his tone as the years went on, but this really captures his joyful period. And on to number 43. All the genuine horror Vincent Price did in his career, he was pretty good at camp as well. And the abominable Dr. Fives really ranks up there. Essentially the story of a doctor who loses his wife and is disfigured by a bunch of doctors he feels have betrayed him and he goes on a vengeance rampage, unleashing all the tortures and curses of Egypt upon them, one by one wiping them out. It's really silly, ghoulish fun, but Price plays Fives up to the hilt. And by the way, Dr. Fives rises again. It's just as good as this film. More campy, murderous good humor. You figure it out. And really displays Price as an actor. I mean, in all honesty, this film can't be taken all that seriously. It's not for kids, I will say that much. But it's chilling, silly, good-humored, murderous fun. And that's the best description I can put on it. And as I said before, a tribute to... Price's abilities as an actor where he can play horrific, angry, and silly all at the same time. And silly's a pretty good word for this film. It's not highly regarded as one of the best horror films ever, but I have a really warm spot for it and it hits the black cockles of my twisted and sick heart. But that's a story for another time once more, and on to number 42. Do you believe in vampires, little boy? Robert Quarry, a pretty distinguished actor, but who really never really hit the big time, actually made one pivotal role in horror films in Count Yorga, Vampire, a 1972 film which had kind of has made-for-TV written all over it, even though it was theatrical release. This and the return of Count Yorga permanently etched Quarry into all of our sick and twisted little hearts. Now, in regards to both films, the original is far superior. Quarry plays Yorga with a certain aloof amusement when people come to destroy him after centuries of living and dealing with vampire hunters. This film has its moments. It's definitely creepy, but again, it has that early 1970s vibe to it, so 
caveat emptor, folks. But again, you, Corey makes this film work. He's really, really got a sneaky vibe to him. is one of these bloodsuckers who will basically smile to your face while he puts a knife in your back or a stake in your heart. Take your pick. And as I said, of the two, the original is better, even though the second one does have its moments. But regardless of that, go watch it alone for Robert Corey's performance. He's really something special, even if the plot lines might not be all that. And on to 41. Richard Matheson's I Am Legend has been dramatized several times. The Last Man on Earth, with Vincent Price in 1964, considered the most true to the novel despite its lethargic pace. I Am Legend with Will Smith in 2007, and then this, with Charlton Heston in the role of Robert Neville. For me, this is the most satisfying of the trio, a tale of bio-warfare gone horribly wrong, and one man's struggle against a city of plague victims known as the Family. Heston is fantastic as Neville, his character's military ties giving him a terrific survivalist edge, while Anthony Zerbe is suitably malevolent as family leader Matthias. Ron Granger's soundtrack is truly gorgeous, completing this wild, violent, and strangely optimistic piece of early 70s Earth Day cinema. And with what's going on in our world right now, this film might be a little bit of a warning message, don't you think? Okay, a couple of things before we wrap this up for this episode. First of all, this month marks my sixth anniversary here on The Big Scary Show, and I want to give big thanks to Drew, Jim, Storm, yes, and even Jerry Vane, the shame of it all, for tolerating me for so long and giving me the leeway and freedom that I am having to do this segment. A few episodes ago, the Roundtable of Terror highlighted home haunters, and a couple of the more distinguished guests asked me some really interesting questions regarding my wife Lisa and our haunt over here at Oakwood Apartments in West Carrollton, Ohio, and how we got away with what we got away with for so long. The bottom line is this. Communication is everything, and we've been very, very fortunate in regards to the people who run the home office that they just basically let us have the run of the place. We started doing this in 2005 here, and basically the cemetery didn't start until about 2012 when our office manager at the time basically asked us why we weren't using the front yard, and it just blossomed from there. Now, there have been a few occasions where my wife and I have tried to move or considered moving and started exploring our options, and one of the stipulations we've always put on the table with local business establishments is if you want us to live here, you have to allow us the freedom to do this. And surprisingly, in the Dayton, Ohio area, nine out of ten of them, every time we try this, are very open to it. In fact, several of them offered us extra sections of lawn in and around the apartment that we were going to choose in addition to which a couple of them actually offered us the front yard of the main office of these complexes as well and just about every one of them asked if we'd be willing to help with their local Halloween party decorations as well. Now I don't know how this would apply to other states. I think my wife and I have just been dead lucky but if you look around and poke around you'll find that most places are open to this. It's been a very rare occasion when they just look us dead in the eyes and go, no, forget it, that's just not happening here. 
while as to why this happens, I think a lot of it has to do with PR. It attracts a lot of attention. Trust me, we have busloads of Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts show up every year when we do this. And quite frankly, it's good advertising because it makes them look a little more hipper than some of the competition. There's no bones about that. The best advice we can offer really is just ask. If you really wanted to do this, most apartment complexes won't complain about your doing up the patio to the nth degree. I've never heard a complaint about that. The front yard in front of your complex obviously hinges on two things, whether the management's okay with it, and two, you've got to deal with neighbors as well. And we've been pretty blessed in that regard, except for the woman who threw holy water all over me one year in particular, but she's long since a bad memory. Now, in regards to our history with this, I'm not going to try and reiterate it here. It's too long and involved, but I do recommend you go check our blogspot page, The Vice's Halloween Haunt Journal. I did two separate entries. I did two separate entries. The first was set in June of 2015. This shall help you if you try and find it. And it basically covers the first decade we did this here at Oakwood Apartments. The second entry was in November of 2015, where I picked up the baton from that year and every year since then on the blog in the month of November you'll find separate entries for each separate year we did this. Again I'm not going to try and reiterate all the ins and outs it's all on those various pages and some of the boneheaded mistakes we made and some of the commercial triumphs we had as well. Commercial not really but hey sounds good. And for anyone out there who is listening who would like advice or just to ask my wife and I a question, feel free to drop me a line at erweister at woh.rr.com. I'll respond to any and all questions and inquiries and we'll offer any assistance we possibly can. Now, next time on The Vista, we pick up where we left off. We're in the top 40 of the 100 greatest films that, well, that I like to watch for Halloween anyway. Okay, all that taught me is that you're pathetic. And the horror of it all marches on next time around. So until then, always remember Sven Gulli's cradle and brush your fangs, comb your face, drink your milk before it clots, bite mama goodnight, and always remember that I hid the body just because I've got a nice little collection of them. Next time I have an idea like that, punch me in the face. Everyone take care, get propping, get ready, and be safe until next time. We'll see you then.
Ready to dress up your show? Need to pump new life into old props? Just want to show something no one else has? Do what Alice Cooper, Distortions Unlimited, and A-list haunters all over the world do. Wear Von Karam. Durable, handcrafted, dependable, year after year. Von Karam. When you scare enough to wear the very best. Von Karam.com. V-O-N. C-H-A-R-O-N dot com. As we slide back into the swamp where we hid the body, we would like to thank the following sponsors. Screamline Studios. Dark Imaginings. Von Caron Productions. Haunt Pay. And Creepy Collection. We would also like to thank Virgil Franklin, master of the Ether Muse, as well as the Fordga hosts, including Storm, Rants and More, HauntMinute.com, The Unknown Scare Actor, Drew Badger, Actor Trainer and Consultant, find out more at RabidBadger.org, and Jerry Vane, the Haunstrumentalist, for all your heavy metal and haunt needs, JerryVane.com. And finally, you, the listener. Without you, we are nothing. The Big Scary Show is copyright Big Scary Show LLC, and no rebroadcast of this show may be made without express permission of the owners. All music used on The Big Scary Show is used with expressed permission of the artists themselves.